turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. all about, did you get the result? Did you get the result of what you wanted? I don't think anybody who was sawed in two here, I don't think anybody who was chained and put in prison, I don't think anybody who was flogged in the latter part of this chapter, got the results of what they were trusting God for in the sense of what they really wanted. I don't think anybody really wanted to be flogged, anybody really wanted to be sawed in two, anybody really wanted to be put in prison. And nevertheless, they are commended for their faith as much as the people who did these valiant acts. Does everybody see this? When it comes to faith, it can be easy to judge a person's faith based on the results. But Pastor Gary is going to show us today through the book of Hebrews that the results don't always look how we hope, but the faith is still real. In today's verses, God honors the faith of people who were beaten and killed in grotesque ways. It's time to stop judging faith by the earthly outcome. What happens here isn't the end. Because the ultimate outcome for every person of faith is eternal life with God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 31, by faith... The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect." Well, I want you to notice with me um, that 
where we left off, we have Rahab by name, and then we have six other men uh, listed by name that kind of rounds out those who are mentioned by name. Uh, And then it also gives honorable mention to uh, generic words like uh, in verse 32, prophets, so additional prophets are mentioned there in verse 32, unnamed. In verse 35, uh, a shout out to women in general, women who received back their dead because of their faith. And, and then in verse 35, it just says, uh, the other part of verse 35, it just says others, others were tortured and refused to be released. So we have uh, seven more names to look at, and then we have these generic references to prophets and women and others. I want you to notice with me, though, before we look at these names here specifically, that they are all commended as men and women of faith, and that they demonstrated their faith through tremendous bravery and courage. But I want you to notice a difference. In the verses that I just read here, some demonstrated faith through valiant acts. You see that between verses 33 and the first part of verse 35, where it talks about who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead to life again. So you see very valiant acts, very courageous acts of faith. But then the last part of this chapter uh, talks about uh, those who exercised faith in the sense of endurance through suffering. And, and that's where it's in the middle of verse 35, it talks about others. In contrast to the previous verses we just read, valiant acts of faith, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. In verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. By the way, that's, that's historically a reference to Isaiah the prophet. It is believed that Isaiah the prophet was sawed in two. That they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. So, You you see in this last section of chapter 11, verses 33, 34, and first part of 35 talk about valiant acts of faith. The last few verses of this chapter talk about acts of faith through the endurance of suffering. And why is this important to point out? Because faith is not exclusively measured by results. This is necessary for us to understand. Faith is not exclusively measured by the results. The one who shut the mouths of lions, reference there, is commended just as much as the one who sawed in two. All right? One, one demonstrated this valiant act, and then God through faith and, and what God did to glorify himself, shutting the mouth of a lion, while yet someone else was sawed in two. And yet both are commended for their faith. And this is necessary for us to understand. Faith is measured by the relentless pursuit of God, not by the results. And the reason I'm pointing this out before we even look at the closing few verses here is because great damage, unfortunately, has been done in the body of Christ when some have judged others in terms of their faith by the result. And that's a dangerous thing to do. 
You cannot look at someone and say, well, you, didn't, you must not have enough faith because you didn't get the result for what you were believing God for. That is nonsense. Real faith is the relentless pursuit of God, and the results will ultimately glorify Him whether you shut the mouth of a lion or whether you end up being sawed in two. And this area of faith has veered in an unhealthy direction in some circles of the body of Christ, where it's all about, did you get the result? Did you get the result of what you wanted? I don't think anybody who was sought into here, I don't think anybody who was chained and put in prison, I don't think anybody who was flogged in the latter part of this chapter got the results of what they were trusting God for in the sense of what they really wanted. I don't think anybody really wanted to be flogged, anybody really wanted to be sought into, anybody really wanted to be put in prison. And nevertheless, they are commended for their faith as much as the people who did these valiant acts. Does everybody see this? And so we have to be very careful. There's this judgmental thing in the body of Christ, some circles of the body of Christ, where people evaluate each other, which is a dangerous thing. We we shouldn't do that anyway. Evaluate each other's faith on the basis of, did it really turn out the way you'd hoped? Because if it didn't turn out the way you you had hoped, you must not have really exercised enough faith. You must not have faith from God. You must not really be a man or a woman of faith. That is nonsense. Because even the people who are commended for exercising great faith were persecuted, flogged, beaten, imprisoned, and sawed in two. Everybody understand that perspective? Okay, so now as we look at these last few names here, it's important for us to remember all that, that they are just as much commended regardless of what the result was, because the one common thing that they all had, that they all shared together, was this relentless pursuit of God. And that's what this is really all about. When we take heart in our walk with the Lord, by the examples of these men and women, it, it is to scream that message that all of these people had a relentless pursuit of God. And they believed God and trusted God even if the end result was not what they had personally hoped for because the writer of Hebrews summarizes it to say that ultimately what, what they all got was the ultimate resurrection. And that what ultimately we all get through a relentless pursuit of God, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a relationship with Him, is our ultimate reward of heaven, whether we see the tangible results of this side of it or not. So relentlessly pursue God. That's what the main theme is here of chapter 11. So let's look at these last few verses now. And number uh, 11 on the list of the hall of faith is Rahab. And she's mentioned here in verse 31. Now, Rahab is unique in being included here uh, in, in this list. She is part of a minority in the sense that she's a woman, obviously, and most of these examples are men, so she is uh, an example of a woman of faith. And there's another reason why that she's an unusual uh, person in this list of faith, because she's a Gentile and she's a prostitute. She's a, a Gentile and a prostitute. And so she's mentioned here. Now, the story of Rahab, I'm just going to summarize some of these stories rather than having us turn and read, but the, the, the story of Rahab is found in the book of Joshua, and uh, she runs a brothel in Jericho. And uh, 
Jericho is the first city that God tells the Israelites they have to take in order to advance into the promised land. So when, when Moses hands the baton to Joshua to lead all the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt to the promised land, so Moses hands the baton to Joshua. Joshua's about to take the people into the promised land. They're going to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land, coming from, on a map today, what would be Jordan over into Israel. One of the first things God tells them to do is you're going to have to take the city of Jericho. So Joshua sends two spies on a recon mission into the city of Jericho. And, uh, and these two spies go in there to kind of just, you know, come back with some intel. And, and they want to report back to Joshua. Here's what we found in terms of the city, in terms of, you know, any army. And so they do a little intelligence recon mission. And so, so they're gathering information. And when they get into town... They stop at Rahab's house. I'm sure not for business, but just because they're figuring, you know, this is a, this is a this is a pretty common place. There's a lot of traffic coming through Rahab's house here, and so we're going to learn some intel. And so they go to Rahab's house, and Rahab instantly recognizes and understands who they really are, and she actually gives them lodging and shelter and hides them. And it's interesting because Rahab says to them in in Joshua 2 verse 11, she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The reputation of God has preceded these spies and she's heard about God. She knows about God. She's not Jewish though. She's a Gentile. She's a prostitute, but she's heard about God and she asks these spies, hey, when you come to take the city, please take me and my family with you. And she asks to be brought into the Jewish people and to the race of the Jewish people. And, and so the, the Jewish spies go back. These two spies go back, report to Joshua, including Rahab and her request and her acknowledgement that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the true God. I don't really know much about him, but would you, would you have mercy on me when you come to take the city? Preserve my life, my family, take me with you. They gave her instruction. They said, if you tie a scarlet cord or a ribbon some, some scarlet piece of material, some red. This is a beautiful picture of Christ, the blood of Christ. If you tie this red scarlet, this scarlet material on the window of your home, which most homes basically were just a part of the wall built into the exterior wall. So maybe she's, so she's obviously got to have some kind of a window there on the exterior wall. When we see that scarlet ribbon, your family will be saved. It's, it's a picture, it's a type of Christ, this picture of red, the blood of Christ that saves us from imminent destruction and death. And so Joshua gives orders. And uh, it says in Joshua 6, 22 and 23, that Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. They promised they would. And so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then when the Israelites destroyed Jericho, her family, she and her family were saved because Rahab believed in the ultimate inevitable victory of God. She wanted to leave behind her life of paganism and prostitution because she had faith in the God who changes lives. And this is a beautiful story of redemption for all of us. She's a picture of faith for anybody who has ever thought that their past makes them unacceptable to God. Because by faith, she believed in a God who changes lives. 
and labels, right? Because she'd always been known as Rahab the prostitute. Even in this story here in Hebrews 11, she gets this reminder of Rahab the prostitute because that was her past and that was her label. But interestingly, you also find her in Matthew chapter 1 because Rahab is listed once she then is accepted into Judaism. She marries into Judaism. She has a child. And in Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is not mentioned as the prostitute. She's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because Rahab gives birth to Boaz. Boaz gives birth to Obed. Well, he doesn't, but he and his wife. And Obed's son is Jesse, and Jesse's son is David. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David. This Gentile prostitute, pagan woman, who clings to God and believes by faith that he is the God who changes lives and labels is accepted by God, loved by God, and listed in the genealogical record of Matthew chapter 1, leading up to the birth of the Messiah. This is a beautiful story of redemption. And if you're here tonight and you have felt like your life or your label, and by that I mean you know how you maybe identify yourself or other people have said about you because of whatever your past might be. You know, for her it was, she was the prostitute. And some of you have been carrying around a label. Maybe it's a self-imposed label, or maybe unfairly it's what people have attached to you because of your past. Or you're so-and-so the adulterer. You're so-and-so the ex-con. You were so-and-so the addict. You were so-and-so the divorcee. You know, all kinds of labels that people cruelly attach to. I just want you to know, whatever your past and whatever your label, learn from the faith of Rahab that she put her trust in the God who changes lives and labels. And she is inserted into this beautiful story leading up to the very birth of the Messiah. What a great story she is. Well, in verse 32, the writer of Hebrews says here, what more shall I say? I don't have time. I don't have time to tell you about all the other great examples. Well, I I do have time. And I'm going to tell you a little synopsis about the, the rest of these people, but I'm going to put up on the slide the other, the other uh, uh, names here to round out the 17. They're listed there. By the way, they're listed here in verse 32, not really in chronological order, uh, but, but he mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So let me just quickly give a summary. And the reason I'm giving a summary of these names, and, and some of you are more familiar with, with, these, with these people here, and, and some of the last six we're looking at here are more familiar than others. Um, the reason I'm, I'm wanting to slow it down and, and just be reminded, or maybe for some of you for the first time, learn about these stories is because they're, they're inserted here intended to encourage us and to be a reminder to us about okay, here's some ordinary people who have demonstrated faith. And so in my ordinary life, I can demonstrate faith too and, and trust God. So the first one on the list here is Gideon. 
Gideon's story is found in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to try to go through these as quickly as I can to try to get them all in here. But Gideon, his story is found in Judges chapter 6. One, personally, one of my favorite uh, characters in the Bible. And um, in summary, basically, here's his story. The Israelites were under attack by the Midianites. I mentioned Gideon briefly this past Sunday. Um, and so the Israelites being on a, on, under attack by the Midianites, and the Midianite people practiced what is historically called scorched earth policy. That is to say, when they would come into a country and attack it, they wouldn't just kill people or take people to prisoners of war. They would burn everything down. They'd burn everything down. They would completely destroy it. So they would destroy fields and harvest and any, anything that was uh, vegetative, you know, they would just destroy it completely. And, and so, as a result, the Israelites were hiding from the Midianites. And Gideon was one of these guys. He's hiding. The Bible says he is trampling out uh, wheat in a, in a wine press. So he's hiding in a wine press, kind of this, you know, sunken um, uh, hole in the ground. And he's trying to break apart the wheat to get, uh, you know, the, the, to separate the wheat from the chaff. But he's doing it and hiding in, in a wine press because the Midianites are, are going to destroy any, any last remnant of, of wheat that was harvested. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And he's just, he's just, you know, it's just an ordinary day for Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And in Judges 6 verse 12, here's what it says. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So Gideon's first response to when the Lord appears to him is, I'm not qualified. And he says, I'm the least in my family, and my family is the least in the least of the tribes of Israel. So he's a part of the tribe of Manasseh, which was the smallest of the tribes of Israel. And Gideon says, I'm the least of the least of the least. I can't, I can't save Israel. And God basically says to him, no, you can't, but I can through you. So I want you to go, and I want you to be used by me. And Gideon does. And he just exercises faith, even though he looks at his own inabilities, and he trusts God for what God can do. And God uses him. And I mentioned on Sunday, he starts out with an army of 32,000, and God says, too many, whittle it down, because God always wants to be glorified through the least, so that man can't take credit for what man has done. And so get rid of all these uh, people in your army, get rid of these guys, and get it down to a faithful 300. And, and then through a process that God told Gideon, uh, God then defeated the Midianites with an army of 300 Israelites, so that everybody would know this was the hand of God. But Gideon trusted the Lord. And Gideon exercised faith and believed God. And once again, he used a person who saw his limitations, who saw his weaknesses, but who had a willing heart to obey God and to be used by God. The faith lesson for me is is that faith does not require a strong start, just a strong finish. Gideon did not want to do this. He, He did not want to... Which, you know, really... That is a commendable example in and of itself. The people who scare me are the ones who think that they're, that they're eager to help God out. 
You know, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I was waiting for that. You know, that's not, that's not somebody God can use. Gideon's like, are you really sure you can use me? I'm, I'm really the least among the least among the least. And God's like, you're exactly the kind of person I want to use. Somebody who's not full of himself, but somebody who realizes, I don't really have what it takes. No, no, but I can glorify myself through you. And Gideon demonstrated his faith. And God can use weak, reluctant people if we would simply trust him. The next guy on the list here is Barack, and uh, this is not Obama. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Barack of Judges chapter 4, so that actually precedes the story of Gideon. And I have to be honest with you, if, if I were writing Hebrews, I would not have put this guy on the list. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know